my credit once, you never have to after that. But uh, I would encourage you. Now, this is just kind of a, a, a generalized statement, but I think it's important too. And so I would encourage you, and I'm going to explain why I tell you this, to take some notes. Not because I have something amazing to say to you, but because I believe that God wants to say something to you. And something is different when we take notes. It's an attitude. It's a posture that happens. Now, how you take them is totally up to you. I do them on my iPad. I do them on my phone. But there was all like, you know, we had all kinds of stuff from this conference. I mean, we had, I don't know what it was. Just say it was six hours. Seven sessions of content. Well, my brain can only retain so much. And so if I don't write it down, but there is something even when they study it, is it, you know, and so the joke was made though, is that take notes because it won't get you into heaven, but it won't hurt either. But why chance it, right? You know, you don't want to chance it, but there is something special about writing things down. But I also think that it has the posture of a student. How many of you know that when you come to church, you're not just here just to come and kind of pay your penance and go home? No, and and I'm going to share about this today is that we're to be equipped to go and help people. That's what the Bible says. And and so whether you take notes or jot something down, you can take an offering envelope. There's something around you. Because here's what I believe is that when we come to church expecting God to speak to us, he'll speak to us. When I just show up and say, let's see if he has anything impressive to say today. A bit of an attitude difference because for one, you're looking for me to say something to you. And I'm like, you don't really need to hear from me. You need to hear from the Lord today. And if you wrote down one thing that the Lord said to you, I can't tell you how many little things that it was just like a little statement or a little thought. And I'd be in a church service and it wasn't even anything the preacher was even preaching about. And the Lord just dropped a little thought and it changed my life. Changed the whole just. Why? Because I came ready to receive. And so we ought to have and come to church Ready to hear from the Lord. And so uh, this morning I'm going to be talking and I'm going to be primarily in Ephesians 4. So if you have your Bible, you can pull it out on your phone. You can do whatever you need to do. But primarily I'm going to be in Ephesians 4. I'm going to read a couple verses outside of that. But primarily we're going to read this whole verse or this whole uh, good portion of this chapter today. We're going to walk through it. And, uh, you know, one of the themes or one of the, the, and even in one of my Bibles, it had the heading that said unity of the body. You know, and for a church to be powerful, a church has to have unity. And I don't know about you, but I know for me and for what I want to see God do, I don't want to just have church. I want to see people's lives changed. Well, that requires the power of God. Well, that also requires for us as a body to be unified. And so there's a whole good portion of this chapter that's devoted to this. And it's very practical. Because there's parts for all of us to play in this happening. It's not just up to me. It's not just up to a few people. It's up to all of us to see God use our church to do something amazing. And so, you know, even so we have seven core values of our church, right? They're kind of the lens and the filter that we run everything through. One of those values is unity. And we say it this way is that we create it and we protect it. And I think the second part is maybe equally as maybe equally as or maybe more important than the first part. Is that we protect the unity of the house. You're like, well, well how, do you, how do you do that? Well, we don't gossip. If somebody wants to come and gossip to me, I'll just say, hey, let me take you by the hand. Let's go have some conversation. Let's, let's... Like, yeah, but that's uncomfortable. 
It is, but I'm here for more than just to have church and just leave and nothing change. I want to see the power of God move in our, in our lives and in our church and in those who would come. And so, you know, and that's why it matters. And so we're going to start here in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. Uh, the scriptures will be on the screens as well. Uh, but he says, so Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. That's the, the setting of this letter that he's writing. And he says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Now, the thing that you need to understand is that when he says, I'm a prisoner, what he means is that by choice, I'm a prisoner. It's not that I have to do this. It's that I've chosen to submit my life to the Lordship of Christ. That's where everything starts with the Christian life. If you've never submitted your heart to the Lordship of Christ, the Christian life's not going to work. You can come to church all day long. But if he's not Lord, which that word Lord simply means supreme, ruler, he's in charge. See, I don't just, when I, when I come to the Lord to receive salvation, I'm not just saying, forgive me for my sins. I'm saying, I relinquish control. And if the Christian life's going to work, that has to happen. Because there can't be a power struggle. And look. All of us are at some degree of a power struggle right now with the Lord. Because we have areas of our life that we're like, you can have everything, but don't, I'm going to hold on to that one. I got, I got that one, Lord. Don't worry. Like, don't mess with that. Don't talk to me about that. Just leave them alone. Like, but here Paul says that I am a prisoner. I, I've chosen to submit my heart and my life to the Lord. And he goes on and he says, and I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Worthy of your calling. How many of you realize that God has a calling for every single one of you? Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll think, well, well, you know, pastors called by God. Sure, but so are you. And he says here, he says, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. Let me say it another way. To live a life worthy of the reason why God created you. And you say, well, I don't even know if I'm called. Let's keep reading in the verse. For you have been called by God. Any questions? Open book, open book, right? Have you been called? You have been called by God. So if you question it, God does not question it. You have been called. The Amplified Bible here kind of elaborates on this word calling. And it says that we're to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. It's a life that expresses gratitude to God for our salvation. So ultimately, what is, what is our calling? It has facets to it. It's not just a single, well, I'm called to this or I'm called to one thing. No, it's multifaceted. And we're going to talk about this today. God's grace did more than just save you. And, and so we need to understand this is that God has called us to what? Ultimately, it's to grow in many areas, to grow in our gifts to grow in our abilities, to grow in character. Now, character is really important. 
And we're to what? Develop and grow into the, really the Bible calls it, the, into the image of Christ. We're supposed to be like looking just like Jesus. Now, none of us are there yet. We're all in the process. But he says that we are to grow and we're to develop. He calls it that we are to have mature behavior. We don't want to be immature. We want to be mature. I mean, if you like hanging out with a bunch of immature people, come and talk to us. We got some ministries that, man, we'd love to plug you into. People used to always tell me, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years, and people always say, I don't know how you deal with teenagers. I, I just, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I just don't know, I just don't get it, I just don't get it. And I would always look at the children's pastor and be like, I don't know how you do that. Just, just, whew, I tried for about four weeks and somebody was going to die. I just wasn't sure who, either me or them, but somebody was going to. And, uh, you know, so I found out real quick, there was no grace on my life for that. But youth, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And people are like, oh my gosh, they stress me out. Can I just be really honest with you? Like super, super real. You want to know what I liked about youth ministry so much? They were honest. If I asked them how they were doing, they would tell me the truth. And if they were mad, they would tell me. And if they didn't believe in God, they would tell me. There was no front. There was no facade. They were just real and I loved it. It's the thing I miss about youth ministry the most. It really is. See, we're not called to just put on the pretty face. We're called to be transformed by the power of God. And that requires honesty. It has nothing to do with my notes, but but I'm just being honest with you. If as a body of believers, we would just be honest, God could do something amazing. If we'd be honest about our struggles and we'd be honest and just kind of just be real and not just try to play the part, but actually be the part of the church. I think people are tired of seeing the church and hearing about the church and not seeing the actual power behind the church. I mean, Where's the life change? Where's the heart change? Now, that's my little soapbox, and I'm going to get off it pretty quick. But, but I'm just being honest with you. Like, people ask me, they're like, oh, what do you miss the most? I don't even think about it. I love the sincerity and the honesty because we could have real conversation. And I watch God work, and I watch God move, and it was awesome. Anyhow, back to my notes. That is the kind of church I want us to be. Not perfect, not pretty, just honest and real. All right, back to my notes. So he picks up here in verse 2 of Ephesians 4. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. It says, making allowance for each other's faults. Because of your love. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John preached a message about the love of God and how we can overcome the enemy by 
the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, it says that they love their lives not even unto death. They live sacrificially, right? And, and here it says that we're just to love everybody, with, you know, and to make allowance for their faults. Well, there's no way to do that without some sacrifice. Because when you want to tell them what you really think, you got to love them. That's what it says here. Now, remember, we're talking, this is all in the context of how do we keep unity of the faith. I like the Passion Translation. It adds this little bit here where it says, make allowance for each other's faults. It says, especially towards those who may try your patience. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. When I was growing up, my mom used to have this term and, and it, you, you knew, like, you better get away. Which was, she's like, y'all getting on my last nerve? Like, there ain't another one for you to get on, so... Y'all need to go outside or somewhere. I don't know, but y'all got to get out of here. It goes on here in verse 3. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Make every effort to protect the unity of the house by the spirit of God. It says, binding yourselves together with peace. It says, for there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope. For the future. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking to you about the hope that is the gospel of Jesus. And it says here that we've been called unto one glorious hope. There is only one way to the Father. There aren't many roads that lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know that's not culturally palatable for people. But Jesus said it. And the last time I checked, he's the only one that got up out of the grave. So I think I'm going to stick with what he said. Keeps reading here and it says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Here's the, here's the important part. He says, who is over all, who is in all, And is living through all. Now this is actually a picture of the grace of God. Is that he is over everything. Every circumstance. Every situation that we face. There's grace for everything in our life. God's over it. He's got it. He's got it. He's got you. He says he's in all. Which means. So God. You can say it this way. God's grace is upon you. God's grace is in you, and he wants his grace to flow out of you. And we like the part where, oh, I like God's grace upon me. Like, oh, let me, let me experience the power of God. Let me have this moment. But, yeah, and, and, and again, I, I don't know why. I just feel real honest today. I don't know what it is. Some days... And I've said this many times, like, because you start talking about the power of God working. And look, I don't care if God made you spin on your head like a top. What I want to know is, are you different outside the doors? Like, because if we're not careful, we'll make it all about this experience with God. And some of the meanest people I've ever met were church people. I mean, it's crazy. Back to my notes. That might become my phrase for the day. I don't know. No, God is over all. He's in all. He's living through all. And it says in verse 7, However, he has given each one of us a special gift. Everybody say that. Say, I am a gift. Now, how many of you believe it? 
You are a gift from God. To who? To your family, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to the church, to humanity. Why? Because Jesus isn't going to walk down your street because you are going to walk down your street. And here it says that God has given, it actually says that Jesus has given each one of you a special gift. You can say it this way, is that God, that Jesus has given you a special grace upon your life. What is grace? Now, there's lots of definitions for the context of what we're talking about today. It is God's ability in you. Did you know that you're hardwired to be awesome at certain things? Like, probably, not going to point any fingers, we just had a marriage conference. But probably, if we came to your house, one of you is organized and one of you is not. You could say that another way. One of you gets there on time and one of you is a lot of fun. <laughs> right? You know. I mean, typically, but guess what? You can either fight those things. Like, dear God, why did I marry this person? Or you can learn to cooperate the graces in your life and figure out why God actually brought you together. Why? Because you're a gift to one another and you're like, yeah, but I'm single. It's okay, you're still a gift. There's still a grace in your life. And the thing is about God's grace, and this is what I have found, is that that God's grace makes everything that I do easier. Because I've done things with the grace of God and then I've attempted to do them without the grace of God. And I was like, oh, I thought I was good at this. No, 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 no. It was the grace on my life to do it. And then when God said, okay, that time's up, it was like, oh, shoot. So grace is God's ability in us, through us. So God's so let me say it this way. is you get saved by grace, right? That is God's work in you. Your skill set, your gifting, those, those things, that is God coming upon you to do something for his glory. Like we just had a stage full of musicians. I can't play anything. I've attempted the drums. I've attempted the guitar. I can't play anything. I'm jealous. Like when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, can, can I play the drums in heaven? Like just let me do it. Like I don't even have to do it all the time. Just let me do it one time. It'd be awesome. So just a little bit of picture. So I, like I was... De- I was determined I was going to play the drums. Getting off my notes again. Totally off script. I was determined I was going to play the drums. I took drum lessons for six months. And I learned a little boom chalk and a little da da da. I did a little few things and I'm just frustrated, whatever. And one day I just felt like the Lord just laid it on my heart and said, David, I hadn't called you to play the drums. I'm like, can I negotiate this? I mean, I was a little like miffed a little bit, like, God, you can give me the ability to do anything. But what he told me was, you need to focus on what I have called you to do. You're given all this time to learn the drums, but I've called you to preach the word of God. Why are you wasting your time? I don't know if you have that kind of relationship with the Lord, but usually he asks me questions that I don't have to answer. Just kind of like point made. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and cancel these lessons and I'm going to get back to doing what I'm supposed to do. 
No, but God, what? He, he does, his grace works in us, but his grace will also come upon us for certain things. So that what? So that his grace can flow through us. I mean, how many of you enjoyed worship today? I mean, so I say you enjoyed worship, but this is actually the, an, the more accurate way to say it. How many of you enjoyed the grace on other people's lives today? Because there's a grace, there's a gifting, there's a calling upon them to help lead us into worship. And I'm thankful because I love worship. But I know my role too. And I know what God has called me to do. So grace has many facets. It's like a diamond. You look at it from different angles, it looks a little different. There's lots of facets to it. It's not just, well, I got saved by grace. Yeah, but grace works all the time. So we drop down a few verses here into Ephesians 4. And this is probably where most people spend a lot of their time when they come to this chapter of the Bible. And there is still truth here. And so I'm not going to just skip over it like it's not there. But I also don't want to overly exalt these scriptures either. Let's keep it in perspective. In verse 11 it says, so Talking about unity in the church and there's grace and there's gift in the church. And then in verse 11 it says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Now many people say, well those are the ministers, those are the professional Christians. Like you get paid to be godly. No, I got saved to be godly. I mean... We all know stories, right? Just because I work at a church doesn't make me godly. It's the condition of my heart that makes me godly. And the same is true for you. We're no different. But here the Bible says is that Christ gave gifts to the church. It's called the what we would consider the ministry gifts, which I don't like using that term. It's the fivefold. Because what happens is people say, well, they do the ministry. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So I have a problem with that. I just... Stick with scripture. So it talks about apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. It says their responsibility is to equip or to train God's people to do his work. So if you don't know, you were just right there. My responsibility is to teach the word of God And help to train you to grow into who God has called you, created you, gifted you, graced you to be. Why? Because I can't reach our city. One person won't do it. But all of us can make a significant impact. So it says that, so I'll just make it real personal. My responsibility is to equip you, to train you, to empower you. To do God's work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So, according to what we just read, it's not my job to build this church. Now, I know people look and they say, oh man, you know, Pastor David, he he did this and, and I get credit for things. No, 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 it's the church. I have a part to play. But my part is to empower you to, to what? To reach people and to build up the church. Goes on to say the body of Christ. 
So many times we hear it preached this way is that God gave gifts to the church and, and we have pastors and preachers and all these different gifts and, and they're awesome and God gave gifts to the church. Well, are you aware that Jesus gave a gift to the world? It's called his church. Not some pastors, not some preachers. He said, my church is a gift to the world and that's you. I'm a part of the church. I am not the church. We are the church collectively. Together, we are the church. See, every one of us is part of the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, this truth of who I am, because Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. He says, upon this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. It says the power of death will not be able to overcome it. I like the message translation. It says on this rock or this is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So many times we we hear this verse and we think, you know, well, you know, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What it actually should have been translated as is that I will build my church and all of hell will not hold the church back. Like we, we, we're in defense mode, not realizing that all the powers of hell are like, if they ever figure out who they are, we are done. But the problem is the church is a sleeping giant. Ephesians says, arise and awake from your slumber. He's talking to the church. He's talking to all of us. And he says here that we are to, and look, let me just give you a practical example of this. Six months ago, we had two little happenings about five weeks apart. They hit about a mile and a half apart, dead center. But you know who responded first? The church. You know people marvel at what happens when the church gets mobilized? Because, and many times people say, like, well, the church is the hope of the world. And it's like, ah, almost. The church mobilized is the hope of the world. There is no force like the church on the planet. The problem is we're just sitting inside our walls. We're just living our life and living our world as opposed to being countercultural and living for a kingdom that is not ours. See, I believe that the church, when it's activated, is actually the most unstoppable force that the earth has ever seen. We saw this after Laura and Delta. The church showed up from this location two days after Laura. We served 5,000 meals. Guess what? FEMA wasn't even in town yet. And that's not a knock on them. But the church can move with speed. We served almost 250,000 meals over about a seven-week period. Off of this location. And there were many other locations. I'm not doing that to exalt us because, look, honestly, I said yes to the right people. And then I just sat back and watched them. Like, man, this is impressive. So I'm not saying that like we were something fancy. I literally said yes to one person. 
And they came in with chainsaw crews. And then Mercy Chefs was actually, Mercy Chefs got here the hour after I did. They called me like, hey, we're at the church. Would you come meet us? I was like, y'all going to have to give me a little time. I'm chainsawing into my house right now. Give me an hour or two, I'll be there. (laughs) So I saw the church activated, the church fed people, the church prayed with those who were hurting, the church cleaned up debris, the church wrapped arms around those who were distraught and comforted them with the love of Christ. It was the church that responded, and by the way, it was done without charge. It was free. We had chainsaw crews here for about three weeks, cleaned up about 70 yards. Roughly, we're still engaged in our community, serving our community. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were doing distribution again. Some of you were there. The church can make a difference, but our city needs to see the church, not just hear about it, not just drive by it. They need to see it in action. Why would we do all these things? Because it's what Jesus would do. Now, remember, we're still in Ephesians 4, by the way. This was all in my notes. So picking up in verse 13. This is right where we left off in verse 12. It says that this will continue. So in other words, the equipping of the saints. It says this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's son that we will be mature. There's that word again. God wants us to grow not just that he wants us, he actually commands us to grow. It's not optional. He says, we're to grow. I'm like, well, how do I do that? I'll get there. He says, so that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature of Christ. Is anybody in here there? Is anybody like at the fully mature, like I'm Jesus in the flesh walking? Anybody? good because i'm not either i'm glad and it says it and the reason i say that is because that verse starts off with this will continue like well when do i stop growing when jesus tells me when's he gonna say that when i get to heaven because <laughs> it is finished for me then until then this will continue verse 14 it says then you will no longer be spiritually immature did you know that you can be spiritually immature? I added the word spiritually there because that's the connotation of what it's talking about here. We understand immaturity naturally, but do you know that you can actually be spiritually malnourished? Like when we talk about walking in love and, and living with the love of God from our hearts, like that's mature conversation, right? But, and this is what I want you to, this is, I'm saying all of this to get to this point because I think it's important. It's very important. So, so you will no longer be like spiritually immature or you will no longer be spiritually immature like children. He says we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. He says we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. It says, instead, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the church, the body. Now, I've highlighted a few words here, specifically the ones right there in the middle. Influenced when people. Now, here, the, the it gives us the understanding. It says that we would not be influenced with people that try to trick us 
that we get pulled off course. Well, if people can get us off course, people can also keep us on course. Relationships are really important. That's why we need the church. That's why we need to, to, to be together and to have relationship and conversation with one another. Why? Because when I start drifting, somebody can tell me, hey, you're drifting. You want to know the problem with drifting? You don't know it. How many of you ever, like, taken a raft or something out into the ocean and you swam straight out from your condo? And you're out there enjoying your sea time and it's all wonderful. And Next thing you know, you're like, where's my condo? You're like, oh, it's way down there. And you didn't know the whole time because when you swam out there, you went in a straight line. The problem was you didn't realize that you were drifting the entire time while you were just enjoying. We all drift spiritually. And we need people to speak into our life and say, hey, I I know that you really seem to be in this, but man, that doesn't line up with scripture. Who are you to tell me what to do? A friend? I'm just a friend who cares about you. So if people can influence us to get us off track, friends will also keep us on track. And that's important. We need those relationships. Verse 16 continues on. He says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Perfectly. God makes the body fit together perfectly as each one does it. Everybody say that. Oh, stink. It comes back to that calling thing again. Like God uniquely gifted you and called you for something. And it says that the body would be perfectly fit together when everyone does its own special work and it helps the other parts grow. You know, the the Lord kind of challenged me about a month ago in an area of my life. And it just, it has, I've pondered it much in the last month. And I'll share with you because it lines up with this and. And it's just a thought that I had. But man, it is just, I can't get away from it. Is it what if when I stand before the Lord, he doesn't ask me about what I did for myself? Like, David, what did you do with your callings? What did you do with your giftings? What did you do with, like, I don't know that he's even going to ask me about me. I think he's going to ask me who I helped. See, it's easy to get self-centered and it just be about me and what I'm doing and what I'm supposed to have. And that's true for every one of us. The human heart to itself is just selfish. That's why it's important that we learn to cooperate with God's love working in us. Because, man, it will crush selfishness in our heart. And it's the only way to be like Jesus. So who are you helping grow? There's a saying, it ain't about you, boo. You know what I'm saying? Who are you helping? Who are you? And you're like, man, I need people helping me. We'll get to that in a minute. So it says, the church is fit together perfectly as each one does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Healthy, that's really important. I don't mean like physically. Jesus said, don't worry about so much what you put in your mouth. Be worried about what's going into your heart. I'm more concerned about our spirit man than I am the natural man. The natural is important. It has a place, but don't elevate it too high. But he says that the whole church, when he says the whole body, he's actually referring to the church, would be healthy and growing and full of love. 
See, here's a truth for you is that spiritual growth, your spiritual growth will be hindered without a spiritual family to belong to. And I'm not talking about membership. And there's a difference between attending and belonging. There's a huge difference. You can say, well, I've been a member of this church for X number of years. Great. Do you belong there? Let me say it another way. Are you known or are you hiding? Because God has brought us into relationship with himself, but he also says you need to be in relationship with other people as well. So your spiritual, as long as it's just me and Jesus, my spiritual growth will be slow, if not hindered. And there's a massive difference between attending church and belonging to it. I can give you an example of this. I could walk on any construction site, like right now, and I could tell you who the home belongs to versus those who are paid to be there. It's really apparent. Usually it's the person picking up the trash. Because it's not a construction site, it's their house. Big difference. They have ownership, man. There, there's, this belongs to me. I read this this week online. I thought it was really good, so I put it in my notes. So I don't know who said it. I don't really care. It was really good, so I'm going to say it. But it says that Christians aren't solely consumers. Not just take care of me. No, we are to be contributors. We don't just stand by and watch. We engage. We give and we sacrifice. We encourage one another and we do life together. So here's another truth for you. Is that the church, and I'll even go as far as to say this, is that this church needs you. And the flip side is, is that you actually need this church. It's not a one-way relationship. It is a bringing together and saying, I need the church. It needs me. There's, there's mutual benefit. There's mutual faith that is happening. But something incredible begins to happen when we actually own the church. When I'm not just the guy who shows up and I'm not just the attender, but when, hey, this is my church. When it's my church and these are my people and this is my family. I mean like a little question for you here. When disaster hits, when crisis hits, who's your first call? Maybe not your first first, but Maybe it is, though. Because that's going to tell you where your heart's connected to. First. Like, I'll just give you a real practical example of this. You can call your family first. You call your friends first. You call these other people first. You know, you got four or five. And somewhere down the line, two weeks later, you call and say, Hey, hey, Pastor, could you be praying with me? And I'm like, why are you just now calling? Why am I just now finding out about this? Like, we would have been praying with you. We wanted to come alongside of you. Why? Because it breaks my heart that people don't belong. Why? Because this is more than just a collection of people. It's more than a country club. This is a family and it's a body of believers. The Bible says we come alongside of one another. We cry with those who cry. We, we, we mourn with those. And we have joy. 
with those who have joy. We celebrate with those who celebrate. It's a family in the highs and the lows and the church isn't just a place to celebrate the highs. Sometimes it's a place to come when you're in your very darkest place. Why? Because there's grace. There's grace for you. So here's a difference, and I'm going to use the word members in the context. But it is something that I really do believe in is that members have rights. Why are they in my seat? Why are they in my spot? Who are they? I had somebody ask me about it. It was probably about a month or so ago. And we were kind of joking. It, was, it wasn't a bad situation but, or a bad conversation, but it was a funny one. Somebody came to me and asked me, and they said, Hey, do you know who was sitting in my seat? And I laughed and I said, I have no clue. Isn't that a good thing? Because the alternative is you can have the same seat every week and no one will ever come sit in your seat. And guess what? The church won't do anything either. So if some feathers get ruffled because somebody sat in my seat, took my spot. Don't they know that's what I do? Think bigger. Like open up your eyes. See what God wants to do. I'm kind of on a soapbox today, I feel like. (laughs) I normally don't do that. And I didn't intend for that, but just a little extra me today. Verse 15 out of the Passion Translation says, All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ. It says, and they lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of the church, for this body has been formed in the image, or in his image, and is closely joined together, constantly connected as one. Constantly connected as one. Constantly connected as one. Do I need to say it again? Constantly. Not every once in a while. And I don't mean like, well, but I come to church. That's not even what I'm talking about. Constantly connected to the body of believers. Are you in relationship with people? Do they know you? Do they know what's happening in your life? Why? Because it's not so that people can talk about you. It's so that people can come alongside of you and help you. How many of you know it's, it wouldn't be any fun to throw yourself a birthday party? How many of you realize that? I'm going to send myself an invitation. I'm going to buy my own cake. Happy birthday to me. This wouldn't be very fun. But what about in my lowest moments? Why do I want to be there by myself too? Man, I'm thankful that I've had people to come into my life and help me and say, David, you're going to make it through this because I'm going, no, I'm not. I'm done. And they're like, no, 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 you can do this. Think about this. Like when I... (laughs) When I worked out, it'd been a little while, but I would have coaches who would come alongside of me and they're like, one more rep, one more rep. And like six reps later, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm done, done, done. Like I was done five, four, five, like one more, one more. And they're like, you're not done till you can't lift it. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) somebody help me, please. (laughs) But you know what happened? Is that I would have friends or spotters or coaches and they would push me and say, you can do this, you can do it. And I'm like, no, I can't, no, I can't. And guess what happened? I was able to do more than I thought. Because everything in me wanted to quit. 
But you get enough people around you saying, you can make it. You, you're going to come through this. God's going to work. I'm praying for you. They're sending you texts. They're, they're calling and they're checking. All of a sudden, it's like, man, I'm not doing this thing alone. That's actually the way the church is supposed to be. Relationships happening. And then when we come together for the, a service like this, man, it's a celebration of what God's been doing all week long. This is a part of church. It's not the pinnacle of church. I don't even know where I was. I'll pick up halfway, probably in verse 16. It says, for his body has been formed in his image and closely joined together constantly. That's where I was. Constantly and connected as one. And every member has been given divine Gifts to contribute to the growth of all. Everybody say it again. I am a gift. Not only are you a gift, you're a divine gift. You're a heavenly gift. God looked at the world and knew the time frames of the planet and said, they need to be born at this time. And you may say, God, can I redo that? Like you may would like to negotiate that time frame. And God says, no, the earth needs you right now. Yeah, but God, there's craziness and chaos. And God says, I know. (laughs) That's why I put you there. So God has given every member divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the body, we are built up. And made perfect in love. As everybody does their part. They're built up and made perfect in love. Now Amos 3.3 tells us. And gives us a question. It says. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? What's the answer? No. So there has to be some unity of heart. There has to be this buy-in. From every one of us together. I mean, I make the joke, and it's not really a joke, it's kind of true, but whenever I do like any kind of pre-marriage counseling with people, I always give the same advice to the guy. Always. I'm like, you better take care of her, because if you move, nobody else is going with you. And it's true. We've moved a few times, we've moved a few states. It's funny, nobody else said, I love you so much, I'm coming with you. And those who did lied through their teeth. They lied through their teeth. But you know what? She came with me. Why? Because there's a commitment. There's a covenant there, right? Well, as the church, we're to be a part of the body as well. Like, man, where are you going with all this? There's lots of ways to, that you can be a part of the body. There are lots of avenues, lots of, of ways and places to connect, to belong. That you can come and just show up. Leave, and I'm telling you, you're missing out on one of the most important parts and aspects of a Christian life and and really being part of a body of believers, which is relationship. Why? Because we all have bad days. We all have bad moments. And some other people are going to have some bad moments, and they need you to step into those moments. And it's not always big things. Sometimes it's just being there. Like, yeah, but I don't know what to say. You don't have to say everything. 
Say what you feel in your heart and then just be there with them. Oh, I've never experienced that. That's okay. Just the fact that people aren't alone makes a big difference. And you may be here today and say, man, that's how I feel. Nobody called me. Nobody, nobody's checking up on me. But who have you put yourself in relationship with? Like intentionally. See, there's several ways for you to engage. I said earlier is that members have rights, but owners have responsibilities. If you're going to belong, you got to buy in. Like, man, I'm going to take responsibility that this is my church. This is who I, and it's not just my church. This is who I am. It's a little step further than that. That this is my family. This is who I'm committed to. And it takes courage to connect. It takes courage to be willing to open up and to put yourself out there and to talk to people. And look, I'm an introvert by nature. I know y'all don't believe that. As soon as I step off of this stage, I kick into introvert mode. It's called the grace of God. You see me at my absolute best up here. I tell people that all the time. This is the best version of me. But you guys have no idea the insecurities that I've had to deal with and the, the things that I have to overcome just to get up and speak. But I know it's not me. And I'm not thinking I'm going to get up here and say something amazing. I'm saying, God, if you don't show up, I've got jack squat to offer. But it's amazing that God meets me. And the way that God meets me in his grace is the same way that God will meet you in his grace. All it is is that I've committed to say, God, you've called me to this. so I'm going to I'm going to lean into it. It's uncomfortable. I don't always like it. But God, you've called me to it. This is where I belong. So, so that's one side of it. The other side of it is, is I never feel more alive than when I'm doing this. This is what I was made for. And, I, and not all of us are designed, called to the exact same thing. But there are things that, that you'll, you're like, well, how do I know what I'm called to? What makes you come alive? What brings you like the most joy? Because there's a calling on your life. And don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you, ah, Somebody else could do that. No, there's a specific spot and a specific place that this body will not achieve the fullness of what God has called us to until everybody's in the right spot. I didn't say that. Ephesians 4 says that. So there's several places, several ways that you can engage. And again, I'm just a practical kind of person. What's my takeaway? Today we're launching groups. Like, well, I don't know anybody in the church. How do I get to know people? Groups. Like, well, I don't have time. You've got time for everything else. Let me say it this way. You've got time for what's important to you. And as your pastor, I'm telling you, one of the ways that I can help equip you is for you to get in a group. Like, yeah, but I don't, what if I don't like the group? Get in a different one. Nobody's going to come up and be like, where have you been? <laughs> I noticed you were home on Tuesday night. I drove by on my way to group, so you were still home, weren't you? Nobody's going to do that. Did we offend you? No, we're launching groups today. Why? Because relationships 
are infinitely important. So we got all kinds of groups. Men's, women's, Bible studies, activities. I'm part of a group and we're men, by the way, we're gonna do some stuff together, like fun stuff. We're gonna have a ping pong tournament, men, by the way. And we're gonna eat some really good food. Like we're gonna do that every time. No. Nope. Once a month, we're gonna have a group of men that get together just for fun. I'm gonna go shoot some bullets and eat some barbecue one weekend. Hallelujah in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm, that's what I'm talking about. Just praise the Lord. It's like something manly about smoked meats and bullets, you know. Isn't that right, Ken? No, but get in a group. I'm not going to like belabor the point. Just get in a group. Belong somewhere. Get on a team. Serve. Let this be your church. Go to discovery. Like, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what team I'd just get on a team. Because you'll belong. You'll meet people. Like, well, I can't really do a group during the week. My work schedule. I get it. Get on a team. Serve on the weekend. I've been telling you for a month. We need help because we need help. There's a booth out there in the lobby. Say yes. Got all the little tags, everything that we need. And that's not even all of them. Why? Because we've been called to be the church. But there's something significant about belonging. Don't just attend. Belong. Step in, lean into it. Like, yeah, but the church is messy. And I've been, I've been in church for my entire life. I've been on staff for churches for over 20 years. Yeah, church is messy. Guess what? So are you. Church would be really clean if it wasn't for people. I mean, but that's just part of it. Like, yeah, but I had some bad experiences. Join the club. Me too. But I'm not quitting the church. I'm not going to walk away and say, well, I'm never going to engage with anybody else. That's what the devil wants you to do. Like, oh, no, I could never do that again. I, you know, this happened and that happened. Ask the Lord to forgive your heart. Be the church. Because I believe God wants us to impact our city. Not just in these four walls, not just on this campus. Throughout our city. You know, like when, I, when we have opportunities to go serve our city, show up. Can I just say that? Just show up. Like, yeah, but I don't want to do that kind of stuff. Come be the church. I'm just letting it all out there today. Now I realize there's life and there's things. And I get it. I'm not saying to be at everything every time the doors are. I get it. But you got to make it a priority. Because it's going to make a difference in the days to come. I know there's a lot going on in our society, but I'm telling you, it's not going to get easier. And we're going to need each other more than probably ever before. And being connected and in relationship, man, it's going to make all the difference. So before I wrap up today, I want to...